Now let us continue in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel chapter 16. Now the title today is God Equips with the Holy Spirit. Now the charismatic movement have wrongly emphasized, wrongly taught the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and as a result there are many erroneous practices. The Holy Spirit the charismatic movement um, draws attention to the Holy Spirit in the wrong way. And as a result, sometimes as Christians, we avoid talking about the Holy Spirit. We feel that if we do, then we have become charismatic. Now, nothing can be further from the truth. Speaking truthfully, learning the right things about the Holy Spirit, responding rightly to the Holy Spirit doctrine is very important for the Christian. The Holy Spirit is God himself. We studied that. So how can we ignore it? And especially when the Holy Scriptures, well, give us many insights to the Holy Spirit. So here the Christian must begin to treasure, understand and treasure the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Now look at verse 13. First and foremost, we see, Then Samuel took the horn of, the, of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now here we have an indication of what happens in the spiritual realm. God just open up the spiritual realm for our mind's eye to look into. And that is specifically the work of the Holy Spirit. Here God says that the Holy Spirit came upon, upon David, came upon. Man may not see that, but God tells us that is what happened at that point of time. Now look at verse 13. Why did this happen? Now very specifically, it was when Samuel took the horn and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. Now let us be clear. Do not think that every time the scripture talk about Holy Spirit, uh, talk, talk about anointing with oil, then it means it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Very often people say oil means Holy Spirit because very often the anointing of oil, there is the mention of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's water, all right? Sometimes it's wine. And here we can also go wrong. And well, um, Jesse, right? Jesse gave um, David um, a bottle of wine. And all that. So, oh, you see, the mention of all this is about the Holy Spirit. Now, we must not read into scriptures what scriptures does not say. Why is, often, why is it often that the anointing of oil and then there is the Holy Spirit mentioned? Now, we must understand all this. David being anointed, or anyone being anointed with oil. Now, anointing with oil, one of the significance is the person is being appointed. The person is being told that the, there is a specific role that the person now will take on. That is why the anointing. So when he anointed David, he's telling David, is this private um, 
um, appointment of David. This will be the private. Later, there will be the open, public anointing of David to be king. So this was the private appointing of David to be king. And when God appoints, God specifies His will in our lives. Like in this case, David, you has been selected by God to be king of Israel. When God appoints in the spiritual realm, God also equips with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord came upon. All right? So that's why very often anointing with oil, there is the mention of the Holy Spirit. It's linked to the will of God being told to the person and then from then on, God will make sure that He will equip you to do His will. Right? So don't read oil. Every time oil is Holy Spirit, we will end up allegorizing and falling into erroneous doctrines and practices. Please know that. Now, let us first and foremost, having known that, well, there is this thing about the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, coming upon the believer. Now, how does the Holy Spirit function? Now, let us start to understand the role of the Holy Spirit first. As you all know, and be patient, some uh, do not know. Now, the Bible, when it comes to the spiritual realm of the Holy Spirit, uses um, three different kinds of words to describe the work of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit specifically. Now, here we see come upon, all right? Christ, when he talked about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, he said, he, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So there is the dwelling in the believer. We call it the indwelling, theologically. So that is one of the words, dwell in you, indwelling. And then there is also um, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us, and also in the New Testament, very often this word filled is used. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And in the Old Testament, very often, when there are tasks assigned, for example, the building of the tabernacle, you will often hear God says, fill, God filled the men with the Holy Spirit. God filled them with the Spirit. Sometimes even unbelievers can look at believers and say, oh, this man is filled with the Spirit of God. For example, Joseph, right? So you will hear three different kinds of description. One is filling. Uh, sorry, one is indwelling. Then there is filling. Then here we have come upon, come upon. Now, there are two big categories of meaning of the role of the Holy Spirit. The dwelling. When Christ said um, to, to the disciples, to the apostles, the apostles are saved, please know that. And Christ said, the Spirit dwells in you. What is Christ saying? Now, the indwelling has to do with salvation. Salvation. Dwell in you does not mean the Holy Spirit squeeze himself through some, some hole in you and go inside and live inside you. God is a spirit. God is infinite. Right? God is omnipotent. So, dwell in simply means, indwelling simply means, now this is a permanent relationship. He dwells with you permanently. It speaks of from then on in salvation, the moment you are saved, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is a down payment of your salvation. He will never leave you. That is why salvation is, if you're truly saved, you're permanently saved. The indwelling is permanent. So that is a one-time thing that occurs at the point of salvation and thereafter the indwelling stays with you. Now then, that is indwelling, one time. And permanent. Then there is the whole other big area, and that is the filling, the coming upon. Now, what is that? After the indwelling occurs, now God says, I will fill you 
God commands, be filled. Now, so God is not commanding us to be saved. God is now commanding us who are saved to be filled with the Spirit. And He will, and the Spirit will come upon. These two names, these two words, filling and coming upon, has to do with empowering, enabling. All right? So after we have the indwelling, you will still read. The Bible says, hey, like David is a safe person. Why is David a safe person? Then there's the coming upon. This, the coming upon simply means that God is now using the Holy Spirit to enable you, empower you, especially in areas that He has commanded you or He has made as your, His will for your life. All right? So indwelling, salvation. Coming upon, filling has to do with power given to the believer that we need to seek. And it happens again and again. Before you serve God, before you pray, before I come up to the pulpit, for example, I will pray for the infilling of God, for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit to be able to do His work. That is what it means. So you will have these two big areas that a Christian must be clear about. Now, don't fall into this error that the Old Testament people, well, there is um, the Holy Spirit only dwells in some of them and the Holy Spirit, well, um, um, goes away and comes back once in a while. Now, the New Testament explains very clearly. Now, if anyone, now let me read to you Romans 8, 9. Now, if any man, any, all on New Testament, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So God says, if you don't have the indwelling Spirit of God, and the New Testament explains the Old Testament, if you do not have the indwelling of, of the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. You are not a believer. You are not saved. So simple fact, theologically, doctrinally, the moment you get saved, you have the indwelling. If not, you're none of His. From then on, Old or New Testament, the filling, the coming upon is the ongoing empowering and enabling that God promises to the believer as you seek his strength. Alright, so understand that clearly. Because if not, you will be like the charismatics. Or you're saved. Some segment believe and some, some, um, some extreme segment especially. If you do not speak in tongues, then you do not have the Holy Spirit. You are not saved yet. You must seek the gift of the Holy Spirit. Once you are saved, you have the indwelling. Otherwise, you're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Now, let's come quickly, having established that, to understand then, now, how does the Holy Spirit work? Now, this word, indwelling, only applies to the believers. When you read in scriptures, the Spirit dwells in you. You will never find God once using it on unbelievers. Because they're not saved, they do not have the Holy Spirit. The word fill, fill. Likewise, God is very precise. You will not see scriptures using it to describe unbelievers being filled with the Holy Spirit. Only believers. But for the word come upon in scriptures, you will see God using the word come upon for both believers here, David, as well as unbelievers. You will see occasions... now. For example, Balaam, and so on. You will see God talking about the Spirit, well, coming upon them. You will hear God talking using this word. Now, it means 
The working of the Holy Spirit is not only on believers, but on unbelievers as well. And for unbelievers, God will say, come upon, to, this, to differentiate that God the Holy Spirit is controlling, working in the heart and life of an unbeliever. This is how the Holy Spirit works, from what we can see in Scriptures. Now, when the Holy Spirit works in the believer's life, you will also see in scriptures two kinds of working. Now, one, when it comes to the filling and the, and the, and the empowering, now one is, now God, the Holy Spirit can control, can control us, make us do what He wants us to do, a controlling work. And we experience that ourselves. Sometimes we look back in our lives and say, wow, thank God that he made me do this, that he made me choose this. I don't even know why I said that or did this. But thank God that God controlled me. And as a result, you averted an accident or something serious in life. At times, God will control. Now, that is the meaning of God is sovereign. He controls. He can control the heart of man. God controls the heart of kings and princes. The heart of man is like water in God's hand. He can make it flow whichever way. So God does control, whether it's believer or unbeliever. In the case of Balaam, Balaam wanted to curse Israel. Every time he tried to do it, only good works, good words came out of his mouth to bless Israel. What, how did that happen? The Spirit of God controlled whatever Balaam wanted to say or do. God in the Bible does show control of men. But please remember, God never controls men to do evil. Even when Balaam was under the control of God, he could not help it. He said he can't help it. Only blessing came out. He intended to curse. But God would make him say blessings. God only controls men to do that which is good. When man does that which is wicked, it's never God making men do wicked. It's always men in the man's wickedness of their heart desiring to do evil. They will do it. God allows. God allows. God does not restrain. In the wisdom of God, He allows. He did not use the Holy Spirit to control. He does both in Scriptures. You cannot deny it. But He will never control men to do evil. When God allows men to do evil, man is responsible for their sin. That is the meaning of sovereignty of God. Everything is under God's control. Now, that is a control. Then you also see God convicts. God convicts. God, at times, instead of controlling us, He will move in our heart, in our conscience, to convict us of sin, to convict us of serving Him, to convict us of getting out of a uh, backsliding. God will convict. Now, in those situations, it is not control, it's convict. Man can resist. The Christian can resist. Which is why God says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit come and convict you of sin, repent. Don't grieve Him. You want to continue to be disobedient, you grieve Him. You can resist. Now, that is why, look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Please remember that. Now, means all this while, Saul had the Spirit of God empowering and enabling. It was there. 
Saul chose to disobey God. Saul chose to be stubborn. Saul chose in his own heart to do what he wanted to do willfully. Although up to this point, God says, it is at this point that the Spirit of God departed. So there is the control. There's also the convicting which the Christian can resist. David likewise. Here God says very clearly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Did not David also committed adultery and even murder? Lying, scheming, David did all that. So although the Holy Spirit for, has, is, has a belief as an indwelling, for example, although the Holy Spirit is given to empower, to enable, a believer can resist, can resist that convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And in the case of, well, at least Saul very clearly, whether it's believer or unbeliever, some people have um, opinions about that, he resisted the work of the Holy Spirit, although it was still present with him to empower. So that is one thing that we have to understand, and even in this passage, we see that. We see that. Now, how does the Holy Spirit work? First and foremost, what is this equipping for? Look at verse 13. Now, and Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. This was telling David, you are selected by God to do his will, and in your case, to be king of Israel in time. That was a clear signification to David. God has a specific will for you. And when God has a specific will for David, he will enable David by the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, to do his will. Same for us today. That is what we must draw. Now, when the Christian knows that God has made it clear, his will for me is this and that, whether it is your personal life, we understand in the spiritual realm, God then will enable us, empower us. He will not leave us um, incapable of doing His will. Remember that. And this will, please remember, is preceptive or personal will. Preceptive means anything that is God's will is God's commandments, right? If God commands you not to do something, commands you to do something, that is His will. There is never a situation where God will not enable you to do it. That's that thing that God wants you to obey in His preceptive word, He will empower. Now, it is the same in the personal realm. If God calls you to, for example, singlehood, marriage, being a parent, full-time ministry, in a certain job, that is God's personal will for your life. Now, you, as a believer, you must begin to understand this. In the spiritual realm, the Holy Spirit is now assigned. Yes, He dwells in you, but He is given a specific role in your life to help you fulfill God's purpose. In David's case, very specifically, was to be a king, to lead Israel, to do God's kingdom's work in Israel. Very specific for that. David always had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So now when God says you are going to be king, the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, now He will perform, He will come upon you. 
He will fill you with specific wisdom, strength, abilities to do the work of a king. That is what it means in the spiritual realm. So likewise for us, if you say, God has called me, all right, to, to marriage. You always had the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a new role of the Holy Spirit in your life, specifically to help you fulfill all your responsibilities in marriage. God called me to singlehood, as I mentioned just now. The same. When you are a student, that is your calling. When you are working, that is your calling. If you're called to the full-time ministry, that is your calling. And although you always had the indwelling of the Spirit, now, specific tasks for that role, that will of God, whether it's wisdom, strength, ability, skills, whatever it is, even the zeal will be given by God. How do you explain? Why is it that some people are so zealous about something, but you are not? Sometimes you look at people, I can never be in the full-time ministry. Some people in the full-time ministry look at the people in the world, I can never be in the world. It's too difficult. Why? Because you are given specific enabling of the Holy Spirit. You will have a zeal that others don't have. You cannot explain that. It's called the working of the Holy Spirit. All right? So here, God will empower. Look at verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You see, God gave Saul, God, rather God appointed Saul, and God will give Saul the enabling abilities to be a king. God is very fair. God makes sure it's available to Saul. How does the Holy Spirit work? Now, he will begin to use all the pre-existing gifts. All the gifts that he has already began to work in your life. When the Holy Spirit come upon, when the Holy Spirit fill, what does it mean? The Holy Spirit now will use all that that he has already put in your life. Now he will give you unusual ability to use them. You have unusual ability to see certain things, understand certain things, make certain decisions if you use them according to the word. Now, last thing I want to say about how the Holy Spirit works is this. We studied this in great detail in our prayer meeting a few years ago. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? All right? So if you're not here, go listen to it. It's on the internet. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know from the context, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not you sit there and you say, Lord, please fill me. Then suddenly you feel this zap, your eyes grow very big and light comes forth on you and you suddenly, whoa. It is not that. When God said be filled, He's simply saying this. The word describes a sail of a, of a ship and there is something that fills it and pushes it and propels it. Very powerful. Being filled is simply, well, having the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit always uses the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the Word of God. He always uses the Word of God to empower, to push you. Why do you have certain wisdom? He will use His Word. This is how I should think. Why do I have certain abilities? He will use His Word. This is how you do it. This is how you should not do it. God always uses His Word. Don't sit there and then have a bright idea that is, not, that is contrary to the Word and suddenly say, God spoke to me special revelation and I feel very excited about this. God wants me to go out and do this and that. That is not 
the meaning in scriptures. That is your own heart talking to you. It is always the word of God pushing, driving, making his will clear, very specifically in your life. The precepts are all there. All right, so please don't for a moment think that it is a special zapping um, and so on. And then suddenly you are a totally different person. There is the working of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are at times certain situations, but not the norm, like the Pentecost, right? a, a once-off thing in scriptures, where they suddenly could speak in language that they did not ever learn. But thereafter, you don't see God always working that way. The fact that God had to send people out to different parts of the world, the fact that people have to gather the nations to go back to their nations to preach the gospel, they had to hear the word in their own language. God did not zap all Christians to be able to speak in different languages. In their own language, they heard it, they went back. That's the normal way. In their own language, they preach the gospel. All right? So there are the exceptional situation, but there are exceptions. Now we say, preacher, you know, what is the point of knowing all this? Well, there is certainly great encouragement. So now we come to the encouragement in understanding the spiritual realm of the working of the Holy Spirit. Are you discouraged in life? Are you discouraged in your failures in obeying the Lord at the end of this year? Are you feeling powerless? Are you feeling that, well, you're going to continue to fail? Are you feeling fear of the year ahead or, or anything that God asks you to do? Now, this is where the revelation of the Holy Spirit doctrine in the Scriptures help the believer. Here, God can ignore talking about the Spirit coming upon David. Why does God want to reveal the spiritual realm to us? Now, first and foremost is to assure us. The encouragement is that of assurance. For David, a young shepherd boy, compared to King Saul, experienced soldier, to be told that you will be anointed, you're being selected by God. It's a very frightening thing. I have no experience. And God wants me to replace this battle-hardened king, so much taller than I. But this revelation would help us understand. If God calls David to be king, it is... It is God's assurance that he will empower. Then it is the same for our lives, Christian. What is it that God has shown you? Do you feel that, well, I can't do this? I'm afraid. God will give you unusual ability. I say unusual, I, what I mean is it will be there. The ability, all the specific things that is needed to do God's will in your life. Say, God, I don't think I can, I can live a life as a single. What, why do you choose me for this will? God, I don't think I can, I can be, be a mother. God, I don't think I can be a father. God, I don't think I can be a, a husband. If that is God's will for your life, He will give the specific abilities. The source of enabling is promised. Now, when God intends for us to do anything. Just remember this phrase, the Spirit of God came upon. 
a great assurance. Very great assurance. Maybe I'll use this analogy, all right? Those who are working or have worked before, now, you are asked to do, take on a certain project at work. And you look at it, oh, this is so huge. This is so scary. Yes, I have some skills, but this is beyond me. And then you look at your big, big boss. And say, I have anointed you with oil, right? And I want you to do this. I make it public, this anointing, all right? You are in charge of this project or this department. You are afraid. But your big, big boss says this, well, don't worry, all right? Because I want you to do this for my company. I will assign to you my right-hand man. And anything that you need, whether it's training, the abilities, whether it's um, skill sets, whether it is um, resources, whether it is um, provision, this is my right-hand man. Anything that you need, he has the ability to give it to you. And I've personally assigned him to you. Now, this is in a very crude and very simple way to help the Christian understand this. This is a tremendous assurance. You will, at that, at that point in the company, say, oh, what a great relief, right? Now, the second encouragement is this. Well, obviously, you need not fear. Don't fear obeying any commandment of God. When God gives you certain commandments and you begin to learn it in Scripture, this is what God wants me to do. This is the kind of parent in the preceptive will of God that God expects me to be. This is how God expects me to obey Him and live at my place of work as a student, as a senior. Any commandment of God given, you need not fear to obey it. Because it is very fearful for David as well. This understanding makes us realize David need not fear. Neither do I need to fear. Now then the next one, it encourages us, it encourages us to serve. It encourages us to evangelize. It encourages us to do whatever God wills for us to do. Now, when God builds for you to do something, to be somewhere, to do a particular task, when it is God's will and God assigns the Holy Spirit to come upon you, He's present there, available there. Nothing can thwart it. No, however difficult the situation, nothing can stop you from accomplishing God's will. Nothing. That is why God assigns God, the Holy Spirit, to be there. No matter how difficult people may be, no matter how difficult and challenging the situation may be, nothing can thwart it. You know how encouraging this is. When God says, this is my will for you, now, I remember when I was called to the ministry, it's very scary. And then called to this particular church, it's also very scary. The only thing in scriptures 
that constantly reminded me not to fear. The only thing that constantly gave me assurance is that no matter how difficult the situation is, no matter how impossible the situation looks, no matter how difficult it is, I only need to fear one thing. This is not God's will for me. The moment I know through scriptures, through how God works, to assure that this is His will, there is no longer fear. You know that it's just a matter of time that God will resolve the problem. The only fear that I have is to fail Him. That's all. And how God then will work in miraculous, I would say, well, amazing ways, ways beyond our thinking. You will see God begin to do that. You know that kind of assurance? Some of you are coming out to work. Don't just jump on any job. Some of you are going to apply for university studies. Don't just jump on whatever your friends jump on, whatever your parents want you to do. Make sure it's God's will. We, we spend time teaching you about how to find God's will because we know you are, some of you are coming out to work. We know some of you are going to choose university courses. Did you use that? You know, the scariest thing for a believer is not difficult situations, fear of inability to, to accomplish something. The greatest fear is when we are not in God's will. Now, it also means one thing, dear hearers. It helps us to recognize whether we are truly in God's will. You know, sometimes we ask teachers to be, to be Sunday school teachers or to take on certain ministry. We always tell them, this is a trial because we, we think that you have the abilities, the gift, so we want you to serve in this ministry. But we always say this is a trial on both sides. Why do we do that? Because we want to confirm God's will. If it is God's will, the empowering and enabling of the Holy Spirit will be there. We don't want to jump to conclusions. From human sight, that's best we have. And then the people take it on. Now, some will say, Pastor, you know, after some time, I do not have the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. I know that. I tried, but I can't. It's a failure. There's no response from the children as I teach. I mess it all up. You will know. All right? And then mutually we know. We say, oh, not working out. We also know when the supernatural enabling is not there. And you must be honest. Now, this is one of the things that, that we must be realistic about. When, at times, it moves to a stage where it's time to move on, you know it is not God's will for you to be there anymore. It's time to move on. King Saul would not move on. King Saul continued to cling to the throne making a total mess for himself and for Israel. Our calling in life progresses. I won't say change. God has already planned. So you're a single, for example, and then you're called to marriage. You know in your heart, and God has made it clear. God will now say it is time to move on. You cannot say, well, I'll become a mother, but I will still carry on my career as before. It's time to move on to your calling. 
Don't be surprised that God will remove. I mean, God does. You know your calling has changed, right? So can you accept that I, as a pastor, being called to the ministry, tell you, I will continue in my career outside, but I will be your pastor. It's time to move on. In fact, I'll share with you a personal um, thing in my life. This calling, this change, this Holy Spirit anointing is just a scripture ex um, explained that I experienced in my life. When I was working, God gave unusual ability to do my work because that was his calling. But when God was calling me to the full-time ministry, many of those changes in my heart occurred. There was no more zeal. There was no more drive for the work. And it's not a short of um, my work is being boring. I was in the midst of the most sought-after career advancement. Anyone in their right mind would want it. So it's not a short of that, a shortness of excitement in the job. But there was no more desire. There was a change. The Holy Spirit coming upon will change you to prepare you for the calling. And I could also sense that the ability to do the, to do the work was also not only disinterest, I had no more zeal, no more desire. For a new desire takes over. But you must respond. Remember controlling and convicting. The Christian can still, no, I still want to continue to do that. I will be a pastor and I will also continue to work. It will be a disaster. Same for motherhood. Same for any areas that God calls you to. Caveat. Please don't use this as an excuse to keep changing jobs. Ah, no more interest. Ah, God has called me to a different calling. Another company. Search your heart. If it's lust, why do you change? More money, better salary, better learning experiences. Know in your heart, all right? God called you to singlehood also. Don't pretend. Another most frightening thing is when it is not God's will and like Saul, you do not want to change. You continue to press in it. Only disaster. Only disaster awaits. Now, another thing about the encouragement, the last thing about, second last thing about encouragement is this. For those of you who have experienced this, you know. You know, it's the most wonderful life, the most joyful life. Because you will experience, sometimes you feel that, well, you need to do this. Whether it is at work and you know it's God's will for you to be there, you are doing something. Or whether it's home responsibilities. You find that this is overwhelming. Or maybe service of the ministry in the church. You know, it is so encouraging. I'm sure many of you experience that. You have limited time. Or you do not know how this is going to be solved. But because it is God's will, somehow, somehow, God leads you to the solution. God gives you the ideas. God gives you the wisdom. God gives you the insight. God gives you... Well, the ability to do certain things in ways that you never imagined that you're able to do it. Sometimes, some of the messages where I have the least time to, pre to prepare are some of the most meaningful messages that came out of my lips that as I, as I, as I preach, the Holy Spirit brings. That is the experience that you will know. Some of you look as parents, you say, oh, I don't know how to do this. It's so, fierce, it's so fearful, um, so difficult. But somehow, somehow, when you obey the Lord, He enables. Have you experienced that? Shortness of time, 
and so on, even at work, many of you shared. When you step up to serve in certain ministries, you share. You know, when I took up the ministry, I didn't know. My job can interfere. It. And then you say, somehow the Lord gives you unusual ability to solve project problems so much faster than before you join the ministry. Do something for the Lord in church. Unusual ability. Why? Because it's God's will. You know, to have such a life is the most wonderful life, the most assured life. Now, next, but there are warnings, even with these encouragements. There are warnings. It can be removed. Look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It can be removed. If Saul was truly saved, the indwelling is not removed. All right? Indwelling will not be removed from us. But the filling, the empowering can be removed. When David fell into grievous sin, what was his prayer? Take not thy spirit from me. What was David praying? Don't let me go to hell. David knew he was permanently saved. He even said, I will go to the child. The child will not come to me. He was talking in heaven. He knew that his indwelling will never be removed. What was David praying when, take not this, thy Holy Spirit, thy spirit from me? He was praying, God, do not remove this empowering from me. David understood that empowering can be removed. In the spiritual realm, we must understand that. Because of sin, unrepentance, like Saul, stubbornness, fakeness, scheming, partial obedience. God intended for Saul to succeed. Don't mistake that for a moment. When God appointed Saul, yes, God desired would be David. But when God appointed Saul, he's not saying, I will make sure you fail. God doesn't do that, never does that. God even here proves to us the Holy Spirit empowering was with Saul. God fully intended for Saul to succeed. But for Saul was foolish. Christian, just because there's the assurance, there's no need to fear, there's this joy, this, all this that God promises, it can be taken away. Are you living in unrepentance? Now, don't assume that you still can do your job, you still can um, do your family responsibilities or church ministry, it will keep going on. God allowed the Holy Spirit in Saul's life till this point. Saul would not repent. Eventually, it will be taken away. Eventually, God will even remove, remove what He intended, the good that He intended for your life, together with the Holy Spirit's empowering. So please don't, don't think that empowering is like indwelling. Don't make that mistake. So it can be removed. The second warning is this. You no longer have the assurance. Please don't listen to this, oh, this is great. You no longer have the assurance when you choose to pursue your own will. You no longer have the assurance when you choose to pursue your own will. The infilling, the empowering is given specifically because David and Saul were supposed to do God's will. But when Saul chose not to do God's will, when Saul chose to make God's people his people, when Saul chose to do his own will, when Saul to pursue the kingdom for himself, God takes it away. 
Now, you know, in your heart, this job that you are in, is it really God's will? You know in your heart, this person that you are in a relationship with, is it God's will? If you follow the perceptive will of God, that is the filling of the Holy Spirit, you will know. It's whether you want to ignore it. You will know whatever decision and choice that you have made or are about to make, whether it is God's will. If you stubbornly, like Saul, choose to still ignore God's will and pursue your own will, don't think for a moment, because here God makes it clear. Saul, you don't want to do my will. I've given you many chances. You still do not want to do my will. Then it ends here. It ends here. Don't be that foolish. When it's no longer God's will for you to do something, acknowledge it. When, you are, when you're pursuing something that God not, it's not God's will, repent. Repent. Now then, we have another warning. Don't be proud. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is given to you to do God's work. He is the one who empowers you. Don't for a moment steal God's glory. Saul was only concerned about his face. We learned that. Or oh, honor me before our elders. That was all Saul was concerned about. Pride. He wanted to look good. Now, when you are enabled to do something well at work, when you are enabled to do something well in bringing up your family for the Lord, when you are enabled to do something well as a student or in church, don't for one moment forget who gave you that ability. Don't go around, you know, uh, Master, you know, uh, you know, no one thought of this, but I thought of this. You know that day when this happened, wow, you know, good thing I did this, good thing I did that. You know, my family had all this difficulty, you know, good thing I am this kind of parent, and so on. You are able because God the Holy Spirit came upon you. God the Holy Spirit filled you and used whatever you had to give you unusual abilities. Never, ever steal glory from God the Holy Spirit. Remember that. Every time you want to boast, when you're doing God's will, God's work, Know that it is God that helped you. There is any success in the things that you do in church? Be very humble. You want God to take away the Holy Spirit empowering? Then go ahead and be proud. Watch our hearts. Students, if you are doing well in school, please don't for a moment think that because you are smart. God gave you that ability. That is all. Now perhaps I say this as a side. Think of the Trinity. Think of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. But you realize in the Bible, it is God the Father and God the Son that sends the Holy Spirit. God passed the Holy Spirit because Christ said, I am my Father's Son, the Comforter. And Christ made it very clear. The role of the Holy Spirit is to point men to Him. God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, his role in the Trinity is to point men to Christ. God assigns the Holy Spirit to empower, to fill men, Christians. Christians' ability to do wonderful things for the kingdom is because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit 
But yet God says, the Holy Spirit is to point men to me, to Christ himself. That's the Holy Spirit go around. What is this? I'm the one who do all this hard work in convincing this this ungrateful, stubborn people. I'm the one who work in their heart. I'm the one who, who empower them and give my abilities to them. And then I'm supposed to point it to Christ. You never read that in the Bible. If Christ, if God the Holy Spirit functions like that, that is his role. And that's it. He doesn't try to take glory for himself. That is his role. How dare we feel that if we do something and we say, we want to show off and let people know we are, we are so clever, we have this ability, we are so uh, astute, we have discernment, how dare we? It's from the Holy Ghost. Now let's move, all right, quickly. Now the question is this, having understood all this, now Christian, how should we respond? We know that the Holy Ghost works this way, we know that power comes from Him, we know, we know what we should be warned of. Now how should we respond? Well, first thing is this, now, having understood all this in the spiritual realm, the Christian must understand having the empowering empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, does not mean you do not need to do anything. Don't think, well, God empowers me. Then you can be lazy. Then you can not care. Then you can simply, well, turn up in school, turn up at work, turn up on your responsibilities in the morning as a housewife, turn up to church to serve and don't do anything. And suddenly this zapping happens to you and then you are able to do wow, wonderfully. It doesn't work like that in scriptures, even for David's life. God will begin to give skills, abilities, just like how he built up Moses, just like how he built up David here, as we see in his life, there will be skills that God will begin to put in your life. They are from God. Then as you use those skills in human responsibilities, as you do your part to work hard to study the Word, God will enable you to understand it. God gives you, as, as you work hard in planning your work, your school, schoolwork, your ministry's work, as you work hard on the skills that God has placed there, God, the Holy Spirit coming upon means, when you do that, He will now use, He will give you unusual ability to use all the skills in a way that you would not normally know how to use it. That is what it means. So don't just think, well, the empowering, the coming upon, come upon already, okay, move my hand this way, make me say that, and then uh, make me um, think like that. You will see again and again, God the Holy Spirit came upon David. But you will see from here onwards, David had to do things. David had to go to battles. David had to strategize. Just like King Saul, the Holy Spirit was with King Saul up to now. King Saul had to plan, had to gather the people. King Saul had to fight battles. All right? So what should we do in response? Make sure that you don't think your human responsibility is not there. How the Holy Spirit works is that way, all right? He will use all that He given to you. As you use it, He enables and empower your usage of the skills. Now, the next one is, um, is this. So, so, for example, all right, someone will say, I'm called to be a pastor. 
then the gift of a pastor must be able to expound God's word, preach God's word, and minister the church of God. But don't worry, you know, if God's way is for me to be a pastor, then the Spirit will come upon me. I don't need to sing. I don't need to plan. I don't need to minister. I don't need to go to Bible college. I don't need... In fact, that is the problem today. Many say, well, you know, if you're called to be pastors, we have the Holy Spirit. And then we will unusual ability to understand the Word. No. And that is why churches go wrong. People think that, oh, so-and-so is called to be a pastor. They don't need to go and study God's Word. No, the person still needs to study, still need to put effort in, preparation of each message, everything. Yes, there are times where you do not have the luxury to do as much as you would like to. Something happened in church, then you turn up to serve. It's not because of your laziness. You will also experience the Holy Spirit helping. But by and large, we have that responsibility, all right? So don't think it's something mystical. And just mystical, that is all. Now, how should we respond? The next one. We must trust in the power of the Holy Spirit when the time comes. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit come upon us. The Holy Spirit is there. His power is there. His enabling, His help is all there. But the problem is this. Because you say, Pastor, you say that we need to prepare, right? So we prepare very hard. We prepare our project work. We prepare our school work. We prepare our church work. We prepare our family duties. We prepare it very hard. And the problem continues. The problem arises. We begin to depend on our preparation rather than the Holy Spirit. We forget that with all this preparation, it still depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. God says, not by might, nor by power but by His Spirit alone. You must prepare for your work, for your studies, for your family responsibilities, for church. You must prepare. But when the time comes to execute, when you step into the workplace, when you step into your mother's role, when you step into church, your dependence must be on God, the Holy Spirit, alone. Alone. Because the preparation can become our crutch. The planning can be our crutch. Crutch means your support. You depend on that. You know, it's sometimes... Maybe I ask, those of you who, who chair or who facilitate, what is on your mind before you start? Constantly thinking about the, the thing. You've already prepared it. And you feel that if I have it all very clear in my mind, now, now things will go well. That is when you will fail. Because you begin to think those are the preparation that will make you be able to do God's work. Or going to school, the same. I've studied hard many times. I know this very well. Or you go to work. I've done all my planning. This is going to be right. We lips on our lips say, oh God, I depend on you. But actually in our heart, we know we are depending on what we have prepared. Now prayer is an example. If you don't pray, that shows that you are depending on your preparation. So you step in and you simply say, Lord, I have prepared. Now you must enable. Now you must work. Then you experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Mothers, you plan everything. You thought of everything. And you say, this is what I'm going to teach the child when it comes home. This is what I'm going to do with the child spiritually. You plan everything. 
Then when they come home, you feel that this is, this is going to work. My child is going to learn. My child is going to grow spiritually because I prepared very well. You must prepare very well. But when they reach home, when you start playing the role of bringing up godly seed to aid your husband, you must be totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's as if you didn't prepare and you're totally dependent on Him. When you do that, you see God brings all this together. Have you experienced that? Don't fall into the error of failing to trust when the time comes. Remember that. That was Saul. You say, I, I come up with this, oh, vacuum. No, that was Saul. Saul, up to this point, had the Holy Spirit empowering by his side. He had it. Was not removed yet. But you learn from Saul. He feared. Why? Because he thought that it was dependent on him and the number of people that he had. When he saw the battle, instead of continuing to remember what God did in the previous battle, his first battle was not a very big one. God used, them to, that, used that to teach Saul. You see, you had no experience in battle, right? But I give you the zeal, I give you the ability to strategize, to plan, and you won the battle. Why is it now that when you go to battle, you are afraid? And when they went to battle, they failed. He stopped trusting in God. Now the next response is this. Do not withdraw. At the time when you fear most, but you know it's God's will, do not withdraw. What do I mean by that? Saul withdrew. The Holy Spirit was with him up to this point, but he refused to go out to battle, afraid of the size of the Philippines, Philistines, well, after, and, and all that, afraid. He withdrew. Now, it's the same. You know that God has called you to certain tasks. The next task is when it's tough. Many say, Lord, Pastor, I, I think this is as far as I'll go in service. Well, you know in your heart, I'm not forcing you. But never be the reason because you are withdrawing. God builds the experiential faith up. God will let you experience that. And that is the moment where now you are going to be used by the Holy Spirit. At a time, you shrink back. God, you know my health. God, you know my time. God, you know my financials. God, you know... Then you waste it all. all you throw it all away like Saul. Saul could go and win the battle, but he went into hiding. He withdrew. When you know it's God's will, don't fail God. Don't fail God. Is there something in your heart that you feel that, oh, this is too difficult. I think I'm not going to go ahead with it. Now, if you sought and you know it's God's will, some of you are going to work, coming out to work. Maybe a lot of things that you're afraid of. Some of you going to university, a lot of unknowns you're afraid of. Some of you in new jobs, some of you entering the new year, some elderly thinking, what is ahead? Now, when you know you are walking in God's will, do not step down. Step up. Step up in your spiritual growth. Step up in your obedience. God, I've obeyed until this stage. The next stage, Lord, I don't think I can make it. That was all. Holy Spirit, power was there. If it's God's will, it is still there. Now, last but not least, in closing, why do you seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit? 
In this chapter, in verses 14 and 15, you will see the Spirit of God is given to do God's will. Why do you seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Well, very often in the charismatic movement and in some segment of Christianity, they seek the power of the Holy Spirit like they, they seek God as the Spirit of God as a genie in a bottle. Not genie in a bottle, right? To fulfill their wishes, their purposes and their aims. Well, I really like this concept, you know, when we become a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit beside us to empower us. Wow, this is wonderful. To empower us to do what? Now, do you seek the Holy Spirit just to give you better health? God, the Holy Spirit, please empower my health. Do you seek the Holy Spirit to give you more wisdom to do well in school? For your glory? For better jobs in the world? Do you seek the Holy Spirit power at the workplace so that you can do well and be promoted and earn more money? Do you seek the Holy Spirit power at home as parents? So that your child don't fall sick, so that the child will become a clever child, so that the child becomes successful in this. Why do you seek the power of the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Here, God makes it clear. David, you are going to do my will, empower you with the Holy Spirit. Saul, you are no longer to do my will. I remove the Holy Spirit empowering from you. The Holy Spirit empowering is given for one clear purpose. The kingdom of God's work the glory of God, not for our own abusing of the Holy Spirit. He is God. He's given to us to do God's work. He is not our servant. We should be very thankful that we have the Holy Spirit instead of abuse, all these ideas. Now, when you're concerned, Lord, help me in this new job. Lord, Help me in the new school term. Lord, help me in my family. Lord, help me in my health. Lord, help me as I serve the ministry. Grant me the Holy Spirit filling and empowering. God, please, so that I can be a godly witness for you. So that when I evangelize, you will use my lips to lead someone into your kingdom. So that when I speak of you to other Christians, you will use it to help them to grow more and more in love with you and obey you. God, use me for that. When you are in God's will, and that is your desire, the Holy Spirit empowering, working in your life is your great assurance and joy in living. I am not saying there will be no problem. David will face tremendous problems after this. God says the Holy Spirit came upon David. But why is David's life after this full of problem? Problems. It is not a promise of having no problems. It is a promise that when there are problems and God's will is being done, you will have the assurance of power, ability, wisdom, skill set to overcome all of them because He is with you. Because you do it for the kingdom of God. That is the reason the Holy Spirit empowering is given. Saul chose to throw it all away. We can be like him in the year ahead. It's your choice. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. 208, 208. Shall we rise? 208, 208.